Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. We have um, with us today Lori Pinto, who is the uh, SVP at Sinlar, and um, Mike Wilkinson, who is VP at Dover Mule Mortgage. And our topic today is trends driving subservicing adoption and what you need to consider. So thank you both so much for being here. Uh, servicing definitely is top of mind. Uh, as uh, the pandemic rages on, and uh, we are so thankful that you are here to share your expertise with uh, the TMC network. And um, with that, we can uh, get started. Oh, and I can introduce myself, I guess. I'm Tony Bramley, <laughs> and I'm the business development manager, uh, coordinator here at uh, the Mortgage Collaborative. So I'm um, awesome. Well, with the trends driving subservicing adoption, I think uh, one of the things that we are interested in is uh, what does 2021 look like? Uh, Mike, what do you think? Hey, Tony, thanks for having me. First off, it's a pleasure to be here and connect with some of the TMC family. Certainly miss seeing everyone in person and being part of the conferences. So it's great to be able to, to jump on a webinar here. And Lori, thank you as well. It's a pleasure to, to share this with you as well. Um, as far as 2021 goes, um, I would say, right, everybody is well aware that 2020 was very unique. And if service, mortgage servicing wasn't difficult or challenging enough, there's been several more uh, additions to, to the hurdles that we all have to overcome as we talk about servicing and subservicing. Um, and there's a lot of unknown out there um, based on, on what's transpired with the pandemic, right? The extensions of the foreclosure moratorium. Uh, what's going on with forbearances, and and ultimately, when those forbearances that you know need to turn into true loss mitigation and workouts, you know how's that going to play out, and what's going to happen? Even the changes with the you know 2022 talk about the cash window limits, right? So there's a lot of unknown going on, and it's hard to predict how all this is going to shake out, especially given a new administration and, and potential uh, changes to some of uh, what's been going on thus far. One thing I think that safe to say in 2021 is that more of, of the same in regards to the adoption of subservicing specifically. Um, I know Sinlar and Dovamil, we've both been uh, focused on mortgage subservicing for a very long time and have been around since the very beginning of, of mortgage subservicing. And if you think about it, you know, somewhere around late 80s, early 90s, basically none of the loans in the US were subserviced. And there has been a giant move that's been persistent over the last 30 years, driving penetration of subservicing. Um, if you, you know, just look at some of the current stats today, um, I mentioned 30 years ago, no loan subservice. Right now there's about $3.3 trillion of mortgage debt in the US that's subserviced. So total, there's only 10 trillion of residential debt according to the Fed. So we're looking at over a 30% adoption rate of mortgage subservicing over 30 years. And I think if you look at the year by year breakdown, um, right, it, it, it grows steadily every year and then it accelerates in times of distress. After the financial crisis, there was a big spike in the adoption of subservicing. And, and given, what's, given what's going on during the pandemic, I think once again, there's been a real lot rush, um, big move to, to adopt subservicing as opposed to servicing loans in-house. 
Um, so that 33% um, is relevant. And, and if you actually think about taking away the, the largest servicers, the wells and the chases of the world, you know, I think you're looking at 50 to 60% of the eligible uh, mortgages in the U.S. that are currently uh, subserviced. So I think that, you know, you know, as far as the trend, I think that trend is going to continue. It continues to get more difficult to uh, service loans, right? Even people like Simar and ourselves that have large scale, right? There's no shortage of challenges and difficulties in doing this. It's a very um, uh, nuanced uh, function. And I think the trend is going to be more of the same, though. Yeah, and I, I would agree. I think that people that were afraid in the past to look at subservicing because maybe you won't give the care to my customer, my borrower, my member that I gave um, is kind of going by the wayside. Not that we don't give the same service, but it's the knowing of the customer borrower member relationship that maybe is a little that maybe is a little bit different. Um, but they realize the economies of what we bring to the table, um, the integrations with vendors. I mean, today, living in the world that we're living in, um, I mean, just what's happening with the snow in this week. Um, Tony, a good example of you living in <laughs> Dallas. Um, the environment that we're living in um, is affected. And so who do we have connections with that other entities that are servicing their own portfolios may not? So those small to mid-sized um, servicers can't just reach out and pick up the phone and call a, a First American, a CoreLogic, whoever it is out there and say, hey, can you help me with this and expand your bandwidth here? They just don't have that, um, that level of expertise. So I think, um, or that level of um, relationship that we as subservicers provide. So I think we provide more, Tom, to your point in the market as a level of acceptance because we can go in so many other different directions as well. Well, and speaking of the trends, I mean, uh, Lori, what do you think are driving the the, the trends to, to look at subservicing? So I, I think the biggest number one um, is compliance. Um, I think that, you know, uh, Mike mentioned the uh, change in administration, um, the new more uh, forward looking like it was during the Obama administration with the CFPB focus on um, what's not being done to protect the consumers and not that we're doing everything that we can, um, but in a changing environment uh, where the rules and the regulations are getting thrown on you on a day-by-day -day basis and you have to make them um, in place immediately, there's very little room for error. Uh, and so the focus from a compliance perspective, interpreting all those guidelines, and again, reaching out to partners where you've got a relationship with the GSEs, with maybe the housing policy conference, with, with a bunch of different entities, with TMC, having that kind of relationship with folks like that that can help you guide and get to where the best decisions and where the common group is making a decision on the best way to manage a process, I think um, is the bigger overvalue of, of subservicing. You get the benefit of the knowledge that folks like Dovamil and Senlar can do because we have so many connections out there. So I, I really think compliance probably drives a big piece of it. Um, and then, you know, Mike talked about just the, um, the change in the ownership of the MSRs, you know, moving from non, um, moving from banks to non-banks as those entities have grown, they're focused on originations. And, and I think Dovamil and Senlar happen to be different compared to some other subservicers that also do originations. All we do is uh, all we do is service loans, 
And the originators, all they do is originate loans. So it's a good complement so that they can focus on the origination side of the business, you know, really focus on making it digital, making it easier for the consumer to close a loan. Well, we can focus on what we do well. And when you connect two that are spending all their energies on just what they do well, I think you get a much better solution. Um, so I think that's that's another thing that's driving um, subservicing. Um, and then um, I think just technology, um, integration with systems. I mentioned vendors. Uh, pushing through technology is not easy. Um, and in a small shop, even if you're servicing 10,000 loans, I know when I started doing this a very long time ago, getting a 10,000 loan portfolio was like, Yahtzee, you hit the big time, like a 10,000 loan portfolio was huge. Um, and now 10,000 is kind of blase. I mean, some of our mortgage banking clients that are part of the collaborative have grown their portfolios from 1,000, 2,500 loans to 10, 15, 20,000 loans because of the interest rate environment. Um, so that I think has driven it as well. And they've been able to take advantage of this, look at all of them and how well they've done this year as a result of having a subservicing partner like Semlar Dovamil. I was able to rely on you to do the work. I was able to do what I did well, which was originate loans. I was able to retain servicing. And now I've created this like giant golden nugget that's going to be more valuable than anything in the market when the market turns to be able to go sell it. Um, so I think people think about it that way. I think that's a, a, a big direction for the um, non-banks to be focused on. And then I think the last thing I would focus on, Tony, is... Um, just the knowledge. Um, you know, the GSEs require you to have a servicing background. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a smaller shops, community banks, credit unions, even some mortgage banking shops that think I want to do it all. Um, they have people that have grown up in the business and have been around like myself for a long time. When someone like me leaves the servicing organization, and believe me, at Sandler, that's not my level of, uh, of importance. But when you leave an organization like that, you leave a shop high and dry to, to move on with servicing. And so it's like, well, what can I do? Where can I go? Where can I get that comfort that I'm going to be able to follow that? And, and all the eyes that we're looking at, all the different touch points within the organization, whether it was from origination and post-closing and how it affects my business, I can depend on the subservicer to do that. So I think there's a lot of different moving parts. Um, the pandemic just happens to add another piece to that. Um, even just the resources and having people available to work remotely. Um, folks like um, San Lauren Domobile were able to pick up, move remotely and get it done where it was probably harder for some of the small operations. So the timing of it just seems to keep falling in place. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I completely agree with everything Lori said. Um, and then I think to highlight a couple of points that she previously made, uh, one was that fear of, um, losing that relationship or losing touch with the member or the borrower. And, and as the consumers expect more from their technology and, and how they integrate or how they uh, interact with their financial institutions, um, you know, the subservicing industry has come a long way in being able to, to build out the tools that borrowers expect today. So they might not be able to pick up the phone and speak on a first name basis, to that borrower or that member. However, you know, the subservices now are able to offer um, integrations with online banking platforms or stand up standalone websites with a lot of functionality that is comparable with other modern uh, financial institution experiences today. So what they might lose a little bit of, of that, that touch point 
they gain a lot in feature and functionality that the borrowers will be able to do. And then the only other point I would add is, you know, as we learned last spring, when just, you know, there was some serious disruption in the market and those service release premiums went away. I think a lot of people who were kind of used to hitting the bid on, on selling everything released realized that they needed a backup plan and they needed a full array of options to protect their business and protect their economic interests in future times of distress. So I, I think that's a, one other you know, key point to, to why so many people are interested in subservicing this year and certainly is the impetus behind a lot of the conversations that I have on a daily basis. Yeah, I think maybe just to expand on that, just one little piece is that, you know, when you grow a servicing operation, you grow it for a size of a portfolio. It's a loans per person to service. And with the size and capacity we have um, and the folks at Dovermuel, it's you have the flexibility to shrink it and sell it. Um, and so you park your loans, you know, like Mike said, you grow it with the environment and the environment changes and I release it. There may be different pricing schematics that both of us have, but you you have it. Um, you don't leave the people in the servicing shop when you have a 10,000 loan portfolio and then you decide to sell it and you're down to 1,500. What do I do with those other eight people? With us, we give you that flexibility. So you really do get that. And I, I think in this past year, um, you know, the non-bank entities have really been able to see that, that I've got this unbelievable opportunity to refinance and do purchase um, market um, originations and grow, grow, grow. And I've got someone that I can depend on. So I think, um, again, I think it's just a perfect storm of a lot of things going on. Yeah. Scalability, technology, you know, just uh, being able to focus on your your core um, best practices. I, I think that definitely is what subservicing uh, allows uh, the TMC network as well as other lenders to, to do for sure. Absolutely agree with that. Um, Mike, what about if you are new to servicing or a subservicing relationship? You know, what is important to focus on um, being new to that situation? Yeah, great question, actually. And I uh, certainly have gained a lot of experience this year in talking to originators that haven't serviced in the past that are exploring it. And I guess the, the first thing that comes to mind is um, there's a lot more to it than I think what people originally think, right? <laughs> they say, okay, we'll return, retain servicing, we'll hire a subservicer and off we go. And there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it's more like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, but there's more to it than, than, than people realize immediately. So you know, as I said, a lot of my conversations this year have been with uh, uh, independent mortgage bankers that are looking to retain servicing for the first time. So kind of going through those growing pains and, and, and helping them understand, you know, certainly I'm not a consultant. There's a lot of experts around that can provide great advice on how to set up servicing. But my observations as a sales guy for a subservicer that's having these conversations, you know, there's some general requirements that, that are important. Right? What are the financial implications of retaining servicing? How do advances work? How do you account for the MSR? How do you get uh, MSR valuations? Right, those they need to be marked, and, and who do you interact with, and who do you go to to get that kind of information? Um, how does the execution with the GSEs work? Right. So, and then also from a general perspective, right, you have to set up risk. 
compliance, um, you know, doc custodian services, you know, strategies around borrower communications and things like that. So there's a lot of general uh, information that you you have to get uh, your head around and then find institutions to partner with to help perform all these services and functions. And then once all that's established, you know, we haven't even touched on the GSC applications and, and getting approved as a, as a, a seller servicer with the GSEs. And there's a, a lot that goes along with those applications in what a, a, a new servicer has to comply with. You know, they get, you know, the GSEs provide detailed um, vendor selection guidelines, having to perform specific risk assessments, having, as Lori mentioned earlier, having to have in-house knowledge on staff about servicing with the GSEs and, and understanding uh, servicing their loans, um, detailed structures on how to evaluate a potential subservicing partner. And then once you select a vendor, there's an ongoing uh, obligation as well to being an approved seller servicer. So annual QC compliance, uh, confirmation that your subservicer has a business continuity plan in case something happens. You're as a master servicer, like a you have to, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> or power outages, and, <laughs> right? Um, and then as a master servicer, you have to have your own BC plan, BCP plan, in case the subservicer disappears and goes away. What are you going to do? Um, extensive performance reviews, you know, looking at SLAs, you have to even be able to provide minutes of these performance reviews and then, you know, a DR plan. So there's a long list of um, requirements that a first-time servicer has to meet, you know, both from a general business perspective and then also from that GSE seller servicer application. So, you know, surrounding yourself with good partners and a good team and going about it the right way, it's a wonderful uh, uh, function to, to bring in. And, and, you know, for all the reasons we've been talking about, it makes sense to engage with a subservicer as, as a new servicer, but uh, there's a lot more to it. And, and certainly being able to have, um, you know, surround yourself with good partners is, is very key. Yeah, and I think there's a good opportunity too for people in the market that have servicing experience when a department or a servicing operation is downsized to be that person. Uh, because I've talked to um, folks like you have, you know, like independent mortgage bankers that'll say, well, I've got someone that took payments for us when the payments were getting shipped off to the correspondent and acted as the servicer. So can I use that person? No, that's not the right person. But if you're, if you're servicing in-house today, um, you can leverage the people that you have or, if you're looking to grow it, it doesn't necessarily that person doesn't necessarily need to sit in your office all day. I've seen where a lot of independent mortgage bankers hire someone that visits their shop once a month, um, where they come out, they they're there meeting the people, making sure they've got the direct oversight, but they can do the oversight remotely because as a subservicer, we're making information available remotely so that they can self-serve and do their quality control checks that they need to do. Um, so the more you make information available, um, remotely, um, it allows, you know, more educated people in our business to do that oversight. So I think that's helpful um, because there is a lot of work. It doesn't go away. You don't get to just push it away. Um, Ginny Mae's tough. You know, Ginny Mae wants you to make sure you understand. I mean, I think Ginny Mae's probably, as everybody could probably concur, um, really wants to make sure that you understand the risk that goes along with owning 
um, you know, Jimmy May MSRs and the advancing responsibility, and they want you to participate in their annual audits to make sure that you understand why funds had to move or your edits weren't clear timely and the impact that that has. They, they really want you not to pass that on to a, someone like a Sandler or a Dover Mule while we do the function for you, make sure that you understand it if some one of us. Um, so I think they all take it strictly, but I think Ginny made the most because the biggest risk is in those loans. There's the less amount of money that's put down on those um, types of products. And so the bigger amount of losses come out of those products. So they really have, especially Jimmy May, tightened its guidelines about what your requirement is for a subservicer. Um, to the extent where Jimmy May was very vague and didn't talk about it, they've really changed the process in the last 18 months and gotten very detailed and very specific about what you need to do if you're going to um, really entertain Jimmy May servicing. And, and I would tell you that most clients that I see um, starting with subservicing really don't go down the path with Jimmy May until they get comfortable with a Fannie or a Federal Home Loan Bank product or a Freddie Mac. Um, they get the ease, you know, going to the cash window, selling that way, um, and then really work into the Ginny May, even if they're doing one, two, three loan pools. It takes them a while to get, um, you know, their FHA approval, um, you know, get their underwriting approval, and then really move into that market because it really is different. It really, they really hold you to a much, a much, much higher standard. Transportation is that's definitely a, an engaged, engaged partnership. Sounds right. Sorry, Michael. No, I was going to say that's exact. I completely concur. That's a great point about Jenny to the point where they've even changed um, the eligibility requirements to approve new issuers to make it significantly more difficult going forward. Um, Just want to remind everybody this is TMC Connect. I'm Tony Gramley, Business Development Coordinator. We've got Lori Pinto with uh, Sinlar, as well as uh, Mike Wilkinson here with Dova Mule, our uh, fantastic preferred partner, sharing their insights on subservicing, the trends driving subservicing adoption, and uh, what you need to consider. Uh, You guys are on mute, but please feel free to drop your uh, questions in the chat in the Q&A, and we will definitely address those. Um, so talking about the GSEs, you know, how easy is it to work with the GSEs while you're using a subservicer? Mike, you want me to take that? You want to? Yeah, go take fire that? away, Lori, please. Sure. So, I mean, it is a partnership. You know, um, as a subservicer, the GSEs come to us and look at you as an overall portfolio, but they also look at the portfolios individually. So they report up to us about what we're servicing but they report to you as an individual. And and you want that because you wanna understand, um, you wanna make sure the GSC understands that you do stand on your own, the value that you bring to that selling relationship and that partnership. So I would say that um, it is fairly easy to work with the subservicer. Um, Mike talked early on though about getting approved. You have to go through your own approval process no differently than if you were um, not subservicing. So I think the nuts and bolts of that is all the same. You have to set up your custodial accounts. You have to sign all the agreements. You have to be, you know, prove that you've got a QA program on the origination and underwriting side and that you've got a quality control program on the servicing side. You just need to engage your subservicer and make sure that once all those things are completed, that ongoing review continues. So uh, I think not any more difficult, just a different path. Um, You're just going down a different direction. We've got, um, looks like uh, James McQuaid has his uh, hand raised. So I think Amy's going to unmute him. James, can you hear us? I'm sorry. I hit that by accident. Okay. (laughs) 
didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> good, good conversation, however. Any Thank questions for being here? <laughs> Quick, come up with something. <laughs> Thanks, James. Um, well, Lori, what about, uh, you know, you were talking about working with the GSEs and selling. So what about selling uh, in 2021? What are we looking at there? So, you know, it's interesting and uh, it would be interesting to hear from the group to see if they've got plans. Um, you know, we talked about what 2020, the pandemic, the interest rate environment has done for this business, given the capacity to um, the um, non-bank servicers. Um, and so we're anticipating that when the market's right and the interest rates um, start to rise, the value of that MSR portfolio is going to um, explode and uh, our partners are going to want to start to sell. Um, is that going to happen now? Probably no, probably much later in 2021, unless something else happens that you know completely changes the interest rate environment, which Lord knows. Anything could happen. We could have frogs dropping from the sky tomorrow. We don't know what the next pandemic is going to be. But um, but anticipating that probably later in the year, I mean, I have seen some portfolios out there for sale. Um, but I think it's important um, to understand that there's a work effort that goes along with that process. And I think uh, any mortgage banker that has not, non-bank that has not regularly sold or has had a large enough portfolio to put up for sale in the recent past, is used to doing co-issue sales or doing monthly sales, um, really needs to prepare themselves and their subservicing partners for the idea that they're getting ready to sell. Um, you know, the GSEs need a 60-day notification and they need to approve that process of that transfer. So what you wanna do and what your broker wants to do to take advantage of that market um, is not always aligned. Um, there's probably some guidelines in your subservicing arrangements that you need to give notification to your subservicer. Not, again, that they can't do it, but they have to make sure that they've got capacity. So we're preparing for the fact that there's going to be some opening up and releasing of portfolios um, at the end of 2021 and, and into 2022. Uh, and I think that the servicers that have retained and grown that portfolio really need to spend some time thinking about a plan of attack of how they're gonna manage that internally because they have not had to gather 10,000 loan documents out of the vault or out of the custodian to transfer. They've sold in a co-issue and as the documents come in, they get moved to the new custodian um, or they're getting assigned at the time of the, you know, the co-issue at closing. So it's a different process for a much larger scale. And I want people just to be cognizant of the flipping of a switch is not as easy um, as what they're doing or used to doing in the past. So I think that's something that um, those retaining servicing over the last 12 to 18 months are really gonna have to pay attention to. Yeah, well said, totally agree. Um, just on the front end, there's a, there's a lot more to it than getting set up. On the other side, there's a lot more to it than just flipping a switch. I always like to say, right, the asset is much more liquid than the servicing transfer itself, right? You right. can You can, put it out for bid and pick a partner and do that very quickly and easily. But when it comes time to actually do the work to transfer that servicing, there's there's a lot more to it and it takes a lot longer than, than many realize. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, and I would think too, I mean, when you originate a loan, it's like anything, it's just like subservicing and you're transferring it. 
people get very quickly acclimated to who they're doing business with. So I originate with XY broker, they sell it to one, two, three mortgage banker, and it ends up at Mac. just making up a name. And somebody gets used to all of that. Well, now I originated with a mortgage banker down the street whose name I see in the shopping center, and they've retained my loan for the last 12, 18 months. And now I'm transferring. A loan officer has gotten really comfortable because that name carried with them. They're getting good referrals. And now 12, 18 months later, my loan's getting transferred. So that, that sense of comfort that a homeowner member borrower had previously is going to be shook up a little bit because what happened? I got to stay with someone I knew. I picked the local mortgage banker. His kids go to school with my kids. And now um, I'm getting transferred. So there's going to be noise. So the mortgage banker is going to have to expect noise coming out of that. Let's retain that service. And like, why are all these people calling? Why is the call center being blowing up? What's going on? It's just, it's the nature of the beast. We've seen it slowly happen as you're selling when you're originating because you have that, but now it's happening all at once. Um, And it's going to be the timing of it. You know, coordinating timing of this is going to be important. I mentioned, you know, coordinating with with your um, subservicer and the GSEs. But if everybody rushes to the their subservicer at once, there may not be capacity at the subservicer. They may, you know, whoever gets there first, I hate to say that, but I think whoever gets the deal first deal in, it's going to be probably the first to get their um, get their loans released. I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. There's only so much capacity. And if everybody's trying to do it all at once, it's going to be um, problematic. Um, so I think there, there's just going to be a change. Um, again, just another change, watching, watching loans shift from one place to the next. Uh, it's sure to happen. And um, so one question, you know, it's talking about time. You know, when is the right time to choose a subservicing partner for those folks that have been holding for, you know, 15, 18 months? Well, I'll, Mike, I'll start and I think I'll ping it over to you. Um, sure. I think, you know, I think you have to have a strategy. I think you need to know what you want to be when you grow up. Do (laughs) I want to retain servicing? Do I want to be, you know, I always talk about subservicing. I've been doing this for a long time and I've watched, you know, I've worked in a bank environment that owned a mortgage banker, then go to a non-mortgage banker. And you watch the love-hate relationship between the bank and the mortgage banker. You know, they love you right now because you're making a lot of money. And then when the rates go up and you don't, they don't like carrying all the, the baggage that goes along with the origination side of things. But if you save MSRs for that rainy day, then you have that MSR, that natural hedge, as they say, to manage that. Um, and so, you know, managing that process and understanding what your philosophy is, do you always want to have that natural hedge? Do you always want to have some MSR for the rainy day? Are you a part of a bank entity? that can help fund um, your advances. And so they're okay owning servicing for a period of time, or do you need to sell it off on a regular basis because that's what helps fund your, your next set of originations. So Tony, I think you really need to understand who you wanna be um, and it can change. It can change with the market as long as you're identifying that. And then when you understand that, knowing that you've got a subservice or like I said earlier, that can grow and expand with you and you both go into that with the same expectations. If you sign up a partner as a subservicer, and I'm a business, I'm an operations person that became a business development person. But when you walk into that, if you walk into that situation, knowing that um, they may never retain, but I'm going to sign them up, I'm okay with that. 
if, if you sign up with a partner that says, oh, we're retaining everything that we do and they do it for a month and then you end up with no business, you have a you don't have a great relationship and it may have not been priced the right way. So I think you really need to be honest with your subservicing partner and um, make the decision based on the model that you think you're going to drive. Um, and maybe maybe um, Senlar and Dover Mill aren't the right fit, but maybe there's someone else out there that's a better fit. And then maybe if you change your model, you pick another subservicer down the road. Um, so I think, I know I didn't give a direct answer, but I think there's a lot of variations on that. And, and Mike, I ask you to, you know, to add there as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean that's the same place that I that I start thinking. Um, understand, you know, going through that process up front and seeking advice of partners that have this expertise, um, and going through that process of thinking about your business model, thinking about the cash implications, how does it affect, affect you know, your balance sheet and, and all the various um, downstream effects that that retaining servicing will have, and and establishing a solid plan, just as you said, Lori understanding who you want to be and why you're doing it and what it does to your business and then modeling out ahead of time. You know, if rates go up, what happens? What are we going to do? Not just financially, but operationally and strategically as well. If rates go down, what's our plan? And, and working through this in a very uh, methodical and diligent, um, through a methodical and diligent process helps you be prepared for those uh, situations in the future so you're not left in a react, reactionary state of mind that you're able to to make decisions and change as the market changes um, because of these uh, plans that you set in place. And then having a subservicer, you know, we keep talking about it is, is very important in, in that strategic flexibility, right? Having somebody like a similar Dovamil allows a lender to originate and retain any loan in any quantity in any state at any time and, and be able to add quickly, sell everything quickly. Um, and it just gives that strategic flexibility to execute on, on whatever the markets and the changing dynamics of, of our environment dictates. I want to remind everybody, if you've got any questions, now would be the time to put them in the chat or the Q&A function for uh, Lori and Mike. Um, also want to let you guys know that this is being recorded. So there will be a follow-up email um, with a link to uh, the TMC YouTube so that you can uh, go in and watch this again if you'd like. Uh, we will also be uh, putting this on uh, TMC's podcast as well. Uh, so... Don't see any questions, but I do want one last uh, thing. Key takeaways. Now I'm, I'm going to put your put your Swami hat on and get your crystal ball. And uh, what do you think are the key takeaways for uh, servicing subservicing in 2021? I'll start. Uh, key takeaways, I think, are um, right. Servicing is great. Mortgage servicing is is a great function. It's a great asset. For, for many reasons, um, whether it's a financial asset or just a key relationship with a, with a borrower, right? If you're a depository and you have this account and, and being able, you know, originating a loan and then selling off that servicing and allowing your client to interact with a different institution, right? It just, it's contrary to what a lot, you know, especially credit unions, community banks that are all relationship driven. So having a subservicing partner is, is very in, in, important in that regard. Um, and, and the second piece I think is, you know, if, if anybody learned anything today, I hope, right, there's more to it and, and really thinking through all this and, and understanding what you're getting yourself into 
and, and how um, you need to surround yourself with the right partners and then communicating with those partners as to, to what you're trying to accomplish and why. Communication, definitely. Yeah, communication for sure. Um, I would just say keep your eyes open for what's going to happen. Uh, you can't overplan. Um, if rates drop again, God, God forbid, um, we could go through another refi craze. I can't even imagine it, but I don't think anybody thought that we'd see how many we have over this stage. And I'm not even, I'm not forecasting a rate change by any means, but it's really be aware of what's going on and what your plans are. I mean, just plan um, for how you want to grow. You know, Mike mentioned about we can be anything for anybody, any place, any product. Um, you know, so are you not looking at a certain product? Where can you expand um, your business model as you look that maybe you're a refire and the refi market's gone and you need to get to purchase? Where can I make an impact on purchase? And can I do USDA business in an area that I never did before? So you've been successful doing what you did. So see what you can do to continue that success um, because your subservicer can do that for you. They can help you be successful because of the capacity that they have. Well, I want to thank you guys both again, uh, Lori Pinto with Senlar and uh, Mike Wilkinson with Dover Mule. Thank you very much for your time thank today. You. Appreciate it. Value partners. Um, love uh, you guys sharing your expertise with the TMC family. Thank you all so much for being here today. We really appreciate your time. And uh, please come back to TMC Connect. Uh, we've got lots of different conversations happening every day. So please uh, check out our calendar and uh, join us anytime you can. Thank you all so much. Stay safe, stay warm, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thanks everyone. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.